12 years ago, I started a job uh, in the West End called Hope House Ministries. I went from student ministry to uh, a nonprofit to seek to care and walk with people. Uh, when we first started, we had a mission statement that was like 40 words. It was really long. I can't even remember it anymore. But, but they basically said, we want you to help uh, start this organization and care and walk with people um, and try to make uh, the, see if we can help make the neighborhood change. But I remember like it was yesterday, sitting in our first volunteer training meeting, and I literally looked at all these people some were there because they're like, we're so excited for you, Brian. And I'm like, I'm scared to death, guys. Right? Like, I'm sitting here hearing this happening and, and, and watching these people come and gather together. And they're so excited that they can, they can find a way they can help and care for their community. And I remember sitting, standing there. And I said one of the most grievous statements I think I've ever said in my life. It was this. Now that we are here... Things can start to get better. Now that we're here, things can start to get better. What arrogance. This statement would deceive me for months. It was as if I was carrying the heaviest weight on my shoulder because I literally was setting, I was literally like, okay, look, we're here, so now it's going to get better. But the problem was, things weren't getting better. I was literally saying to the people of the West End neighborhood, so if you're familiar, okay, this area is considered the West End of Bowling Green. They said, this, this is literally what I was saying about the neighbors of the West End, that you are not an image bearer of God. And I was de denying that any thought that the Lord was present here before we even arrived. And that that he could use anyone he wanted in this neighborhood. I assumed that it was us that was going to initiate the God of the universe to move. And it was as if, Lord, now that we're here, you can begin to work. You can begin to do what, 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 what you have wanted to do, but you just needed us to do it. No, this is not true. This is the epitome of what you call a God complex. This, this thought of that um, the only way things can get better was as if we were here. This is deeply rooted. Deeply rooted in the hearts of the wealthy. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't start talking about money. That's not... this. Look, if you can go to your closet, open it up, and if you have this shirt and this shirt to pick from, you are wealthy. When you have the ability to make a choice, you are rich beyond measure. But deeply rooted in the hearts of the rich is this thought. It's a paternalistic belief that I am better. I'm smarter. I'm more advanced than the poor because of what I have. And what I've accomplished in this ability to freely make a choice. Here is this tension, church. This tension is this for you and I is that we know what's best for somebody because of our accolades, because of what we have done. And that is very far from the truth. But this is what our hearts begin to be deceived to believe, is this, is that, that we can do whatever we want. 
We can do anything we want. We can do it any way we want with, with whoever we want because of who we are and what we've done. It's just powering over people. It's ultimately this thought of, I, I'm a God, and you should look at me and see all that I've accomplished and do what I say. Justin asked me uh, when we were, he was prepping his July sermon series to speak on um, walk with. This, this idea of walking with people was something that God was gracious to show me in my own life that that's what He was doing with me. He was graciously walking with me. This attitude of arrogance that I had, though, showed how much I still needed to learn about these three things. My own state of need for the gospel. My own state of need for the gospel. Secondly, the difference between intellectually believing a person is creating the image of God versus treating them as being an image bearer of God. So let me walk this out. So it's just assuming you can't do anything for yourself. So that's why I've got to be here. That's, that, that was a struggle in my heart and my arrogance. And, and I, I would argue it is still a struggle for many in this sense of paternalism, thinking that I'm better because of what I have been able to accomplish. But here's the tension. But when we approach somebody and go, I'm pretty sure this is not where you want your life to be. And I'm pretty sure you have dreams and desires that, that you wanted to do with your life, but things just changed and didn't come out the way that you thought. It's instead assuming that people are image bearers of God, treating them, knowing that they want to be in a different circumstance. They don't want to be stuck here. This is not what they would have chosen when they were eight years old if you said this is what your life's going to look like when you're 21. Thirdly, the gifts and talents that exist in this wonderful neighborhood is that God actually wants to use them specifically to heal the West End. And so two things have to happen through the local church that I've recognized in my time and season at the place that I work at Hope House, a local community development center here. Is that we as the church need to recognize that God does want to use us, but He wants to do it in a way that we're walking with people. So first, that God wants to use us, and secondly, God wants to use us in a way that we're walking with people rather than doing for people. When we walk with people, we're walking with the anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth. That's the joy of being a follower of Christ, is that when we encounter someone, we're not going with this anticipation of, I have to fix you. You go with this anticipation of, let me introduce you to the one who can make all things new. And on top of that, we can live together in the tension, but with a great anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth. And what is the promise of the new heavens and the new earth? Is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will confess that Jesus is is Lord. You see, the Lord has always been present in the Weston neighborhood. The Lord has always been present here at 1200 Old Barren River Road before a piece of dirt moved to build this building. This property existed in the beginning of time and God in His sovereign grace 
has chosen Mission Church to plant their life here. But I will argue that things will not get better just because we are here. If anything, you guys and myself are going to walk together and we're going to be exposed not to what's wrong with the neighborhood, but it's what's wrong with you and I. So we see in Acts 16, we're going to look at three lives that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and for you, 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 uh, you commentary reading uh, book nerds like me, most likely Luke. Okay? So when I read in, Mass, in uh, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, we see that Paul's journey has been directed in a different location. They've taken a turn because they can't get to Asia. Literally, it said they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. But when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he, he, we, he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When we're going to speak the gospel to somebody, we must know how to begin to walk with someone who doesn't look like us, smell like us, act like us, talk like us, or share the same interests. And what we'll see is these three encounters, they all look completely different. Every person that Paul encounters looks completely different than him. So you and I, in the same way, we must understand your and I's greatest need has been and will always be the perfect and completed work of Jesus to restore our broken relationships back to the Father which then changes our relationship with self, others, and all of creation. And when God redirects your past and puts you in a different place that you did not expect to go, we must do it in a way that we're longing to be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth more than any riches you could gain in this world. So when your trajectory changes like Paul's did, it, re it really did not affect him. It grieved him he could not get to Asia, but he also embraced it because says, I really don't care where I live because I live in this tension already. And we'll see in Philippians where he talks about to, to live and to die and the struggle of that and the tension he's living in. Thirdly, every person you encounter has value and worth. And we'll see Paul encounter them and, and see that they were image bearers creating God's uh, God's design, His plan. So, so here's the first. You must become so confident in your need in the gospel that nothing in this world can shake you from this need and distract you from it. And in that, you'll go wherever He asks you to go. So let's continue reading in Acts 16. Paul to the church of Philippi in chapter 1. This is this tension that Paul is living in. Even when his plans have changed, even when his trajectory has changed, even when he was wanting to go to Asia, he went to Philippi and he says this in Philippians 1 verse 20, And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
confident of this. I know that I will remember, or excuse me, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So we must begin to open ourselves up to the Spirit. We must recognize that we that the Spirit wants to teach us and lead us through His Word. Hebrews 13.21 we'll, is that the Spirit will equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, we must begin to make ourselves available to a person's story, their background, their wounds, their hurts, their pains, their struggles, deep longings, life experiences, dreams, aspirations. Listen to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we see Paul and Silas encounter three major different types of people. The first is Lydia. Lydia is this empowered, successful, and strong woman who is the CEO of her clothing company and provider for her family. Secondly, we'll look at the possessed, fortune-telling slave girl who is being trafficked by powerful men for financial gain. And thirdly, we'll look at the Philippian jailer who was trained and a loyal Roman soldier. Acts 16.11 So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Sumathras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of Prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said about Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urges us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us that her testimony proved to be so powerful than any opposing force that Paul and Silas may have been encountering at that time. As we think about the life of Mission Church, when I think about the life of Mission Church, I think about that God has positioned us where he has us right now, to walk with people first in our workplace every day to engage with Lydia's all across our city. I'm thankful for men like Jeff Vanderstelt who said this. He says this. He goes, what we must recognize is that God is paying you and I to do full-time ministry where he has us. You're like, no, 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 that's not what God has called me to. I'm called to um, be a pharmacist or make guitars right? or, or be a social worker. No, no, that is the driver that God has given you, the ability to use the gifts and talents that he's given to you 
to do full-time ministry. And what I love about Mission Church is our, is our pastors aren't equating our faithfulness to Jesus because you are serving as an usher, serving in child care, serving in security, welcome center, hospitality, tech booth, music, whatever it is. But please hear me. We need Mission Church. We need you family members in these areas. They are critical. But when I read the Scripture and read stories about the early church and we see the life of Lydia, it doesn't seem to me the Lord is equating faithfulness because they served once a week on a Sunday morning. Rather, they lived out the gospel of worshiping Jesus, making disciples and multiplying, seeing the church grow and the decisions to do. This was a great risk to themselves their families, and to each other. I consider and ponder what did Lydia's life look like after she was baptized? Did people buy her purple goods anymore? Did she lose clients because she became more in love with Jesus than the wealth that she was gaining? Was her children, was her family being ostracized? Was their whole life being flipped upside down? Because it was not a normal thing to follow Christ. Then as it is now. I would argue God is not calling you and I to live an, an ordinary life. Rather, He's saying risk your profession for the sake of sharing the gospel then just then you may be pushed deeper into trusting the Lord with Him who will provide for your needs. I would argue Lydia's conversion had a dramatic implications on her life and her business. But what's unique to Paul and Silas and Timothy and most likely Luke is that they did not just see Lydia come to saving faith in Christ, but we'll see later on in Acts 16, they go back to, go back to her. There's this understanding, then we see the church of Philippi be planted. It is not a, okay, you got the gospel, we got you baptized, let's check out. Rather, it's a, we now press in, we walk with you, we help you, we wrestle when you wrestle, we weep when you weep. We grieve when you grieve. I would say in the American church, it is very odd for a Lydia to come to saving faith in Christ. I talked to a North American church planner strategist years ago at a North American Mission Board conference, and I said, he was over the western part of the U.S., and he said, I said, oh man, I bet you need some church planters in Hawaii, don't you? He goes, actually, we're in desperate need of church planters in Hawaii. I was like, really? I figured anybody would want to go to Hawaii. He goes, it's literally one of the toughest places to do gospel ministry and church planning. And I was like, what? Like, it's warm all the time. Like, why wouldn't people want to go to that? Well, I went, milk is like $8 a gallon, right? So, but that's not the point. But the point is this. Um, it really is insane. It's more now. So, but here's the tension. Here's what he told me. Why would a person think they need the gospel when they have all of this? Why do you think they would need the gospel? Why would they think that? Look, they have three homes. 
They have all the money that they need. And look what they see every day. In their mind, this is heaven. And I looked at him and I go, all right, I see what you're saying. But in reality, you and I know somebody who has multiple homes. It is very common in America. It's very common for a person to have their vacation home. It's, it's very common for you and I to talk with somebody who is looking at you, sharing the gospel, and they're looking at you like an alien. Because in their minds, like, why would I need that? Do you know how much money I have? I don't have problems. When I have a problem, I just write a check and I make it go away. There's a gentleman on my doorstep named Arthur this week, right at bedtime. Thank you very much. My wife appreciated that. He was selling security systems. Anybody get one of those visits this week? Yeah, you did. Arthur looked at me, 21 years old, impressionable, came up for Orlando, and I'm sitting there going, I ain't going to buy your security system. But I let him talk. But the whole time I'm talking to him, I'm like, dude, i got to find a... I got to find a way to talk about the gospel with this guy. This guy is absolutely hopeless. So fast forward the conversation. His his heroes are like Tim Robbins and then some other uh, tycoon property owner. If you said his, if I said his name, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know who that is, but I can't remember. It's really really doesn't matter. But he said. If you started reading Tim Robbins and all these guys, he goes, they'd scare you to death. You'd have so much fear for them. And I said, so I told him, I said, I'll put my Jesus next to your Tim Robbins and we'll see who's scared more. But this is the tension. You know, he looked at me, he goes, he, and then he talked about how this wealth, he's like, man, if I sell these, I'm going to get a Segway, I'm going to get a trip. I'm gonna, I'm a, my boss is a millionaire. He's got a big house, five cars. I hang out with him. I've seen all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you are literally the worst salesman on the planet. And so I'm sitting here. I'm like, so you want me to help you get this stuff? And I don't even need what this stuff you're selling me. I can put it all in myself. Or I'll call Adam York and he'll do it for me. He just nods his head. But here's the tension. I told him this. I said, son, I said, buddy, I didn't say son. That would have been weird. I said, Arthur, let me tell you something. There's a passage in Scripture that says, what, it, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? He lowered his head. And you could just tell he just melted. Because he had no argument for that. Here's the tension you and I are seeing Lydia's, but they desperately need you to walk with them. And when you're walking with them, you wrestle through their struggle with their arrogance and their pride and their sense of not needing a Savior. And you just sit there and you wait. And I promise you, I promise you, when they see that you're not enthralled with, that they're enthralled with, they will go, for some reason you don't seem attracted to the things that I'm attracted to. What's going on? I've heard about your God. Tell me more. Because I'm reaching a point in my life that these things aren't satisfying me like I thought that they would. Mission Church. This is one of the people that God has called us to. To walk with. Secondly, Paul and Silas in prison. <laughs> You're like, what? Well, we're not there yet. But listen to this next person he encountered. 
So as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This is a possessed woman literally going, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Like, this is crazy. She's literally mocking Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and, uh, and Luke. And this, and this she kept doing for many days. And then Paul, this is, became greatly annoyed. I love that. I completely annoyed. He turned instead of the spirit, like, like going just to do a normal task. I command you, it's not a normal task, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This possessed and oppressed woman had become an antagonist, a spokesman though for Paul and Silas. Paul became so annoyed, he turned to and said to the Spirit, come out of this woman. Two things out of this I want us to get. I pray we position our lives in such a way that we are blessed with the opportunity to be annoyed by the prostitutes, by the dealers, the addicted, the pimps, the oppressed, the immigrants, the disabled, and the homeless. I hope we become so annoyed by them in a way that we are having a free opportunity to love them unconditionally as Christ has loved you. And secondly, I will pray we will have the confidence in Jesus Christ to walk with them and to believe those we encounter can be healed, redeemed, and restored and find a renewed hope in Christ. I grew up as the most annoying person on the planet. I was annoying. My wife will tell you. I'm, 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 I'm fixed now, right? But I'm an, I'm an irritating rash for a lot of people. It's annoying. But man, there were some men in my life who instead of pushing me aside, acknowledged how annoying I was and began to walk with me. And I'm thankful for it. We are called as a church family to not just fight for the Lydia's, to not just walk with the Lydia's, but we are called to walk with those that are trapped in the sin of oppression, injustice, addiction, trafficking, racism, and so many things that divide and seek to destroy God's race, His human race, the only race. But when we fight for those experiencing oppression, injustice, addiction, trafficking, racism, all these things, we will always be met with this. Animosity by the enemy. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, this is verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice, accept or practice. They, excuse me, 
these men, let me start at verse 20 again, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments of them off them and gave orders to beat them with rods and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. What grieves me, what grieves me deeply is that the reason many in the American church, and I'm convinced, are not facing animosity, rejection, difficulty, hatred, and threats by the enemies of God is because she, the church, isn't loving their enemies and communities well. And we're not earning the trust of those around us to call them unto repentance. Sin, Satan, and death ultimately has a stronghold on this community. I'm convinced by it for the last 12 years. But hear me, not everyone in the neighborhood is contributing to sin, Satan, and death schemes of trying to rob God of His glory or trying to destroy families. The, those seeking to live a peaceful and quiet life are hunkered down, doing their best in this neighborhood to be a provider and seek the welfare of our city with what God has given them. And do you know what they're longing for? They are longing for an opportunity that in the midst of the darkness, and in the midst of gunfire, and in the midst of injustice, they live in, do you know what they're longing for? They're longing to know that they aren't alone. They're longing to know that they're not alone, that God does care for them. And do you know how they're going to learn this, church? It's by you and I walking with them. It's by you and I walking with them. It comes by you coming and simply prayer walking down here instead of your neighborhood where it's safe and quiet and there's bright street lights. I'm telling you, between the hours of 3 and 6, it is the sweetest time to be in this neighborhood in the spring and summer and fall. People are out. They're outside. It's cooler outside than it is in their homes. And they're just enjoying life. And they're literally going to give you an invitation to sit on their porch with them. I promise. You can do this now by like joining men like Trevor uh, Ayers, one of our members here on his neighborhood walks. In the coming weeks, you'll have an opportunity to walk with uh, myself and, and my family to introduce others to our neighbors. To learn their names, invite them to our church gathering. We're going to focus, uh, be specific, we're focused on two areas. The water park. And we're going to focus on right across the street. So you can start scoping it out. And start praying now. For the people that we're going to encounter together. Cannot wait for Mission Church to walk with neighbors who want to see this neighborhood change. Who have longed to see it change. And we're not going to say, hey... We're not going to come with them with our ideas. We're not going to come with them with our, 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 our intellect, with our degrees, 
with our, with our cars and our houses and, and all this stuff. And we're going to say, we're going to help, help you get out of the neighborhood. No, no, no. We're going to say, how do you want to see the neighborhood change? How can we join you in that? How can we help you? How can we partner with you? How can we walk alongside you? Here's the tension. This isn't as attractive. It's not as sexy as we may think because we're not doing all this stuff and point or, you know, patting ourselves on the back and getting our names in the newspaper and all this stuff. No, it's just us getting in the trenches and beginning to walk with people. And saying, Hi, like, what have you longed to see change in this neighborhood? Man, I'd love to have a place. I'd love to have a place I could gather the youth in the community and do something with them. We're like, oh great, guess what? We have a place. It needs to be safe, great, well lit, we have that. How can we partner with you? How can we help what you want to see change this name, this neighborhood, flourish? But then it will create animosity. It will create absolute animosity with sin, Satan, and death. And by those feeling threatened that you would take their power. The gospel is a disturbance. It's an absolute disturbance. It creates a wake of negative worldly repercussions. For some reason, the repercussions we face aren't physically related in America most of the time. They're just not. I don't know if that's always going to be the case. And I don't think you know either. So here's a prayer I have for you. And for us, I hope many of you befriend a drug-addicted prostitute you meet at the T-Mart on the corner of 12th and Adams when you get gas after a Sunday morning service. And I hope your family begins to pray for that individual and it becomes a routine that you only get gas from that T-Mart every Sunday after gathering. I pray you then find ways to serve them physically. That it leads you to invite her to lunch one Sunday, then to our church gatherings, then to the Justice Center to help them get a restraining order against uh, the person that is trafficking them. Then you're helping them find safety and recovery, then sharing the gospel to her and the freedom you and her can find in Jesus together. Then you're inviting them to dinner to celebrate her first job, getting a real tax-paying paycheck that wouldn't get her arrested, and then helping her move into her own apartment, helping her get her driver's license, helping her re-engage re with her children, all the while reading the Scriptures with her, protecting her from her relationships that have now become her enemies. That you weep with her when things don't work out the way that she had hoped. When she relapses, and you're not leaving her side. You sit with her as she tries to come down, as she's struggling through the fact that she feels like she just disappointed absolutely everybody. But the beauty of this is that we walk together with her and your families, we help her get out of being trafficked and find independence and freedom in Christ. That we celebrate her baptism. That we celebrate that we're invited into the home of, with her other family members. The people that she is known to love and trust. Do you know how valuable trust is in this neighborhood? 
It is worth more than gold. It is absolutely worth more than gold. Then the fact that we have to take the time to earn the right to be trusted is nothing we should ever take for granted. But in this relationship, I pray that one Sunday that we pull up and you look at the glass of the entrance and you go, why is this busted out? But it's been busted out because the person that was trafficking her blames us for the income that he lost. That's the church we need to be. Mission Church, this is tough. Family, this is tough. But if we're not going to intentionally share the gospel with people, allow yourself to become vulnerable and expose yourself to people who don't look, act, and think like you, then what are we doing here? What are we doing? Why have we placed and planted our life here if we're not going to pursue the very people that God has placed us with? We weren't here first. We're the visitor. We don't have the right to be heard. We don't have the right to be trusted, but it has to be earned. To truly walk with people, we must be willing to embrace the terms. The terms are this. If the cross was bloody and dirty, then we must be willing to expect to get bloody and dirty when we walk with people. Like you're, not, you're not surprised by that statement because you go home and you have kids. Some of you are blessed to have kids. Some of you are so blessed to have kids like you just want other people to experience that blessing too. So you ask them to babysit. Casey Rice, like we, we, you know the wrestling of how dirty that is, but are we doing that with people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't act like us? Because here's the reality, we have to teach our kids about this so they can do it for with us when we're gone. We have to model that to them. This, the third person we see Paul and Silas encounter is the Philippian jailer. Because see guys, even when we pursue people that could create animosity against the gospel, it will put us in a new position, a new state with new people that may be very uncomfortable for us, but we have to be ready to share the gospel with them too and walk with them as well. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. In Acts 5 and Acts 12, the Lord sprung the apostles out of prison. Here, this third time, you would think Paul and Silas would have actually bolted out, got reconnected with Timothy and Luke, who was, uh, and then instead, what does Paul and Silas do? They walk closely in the Spirit. See, this wasn't their escape. Rather, that was, this was their invitation. To stay in the danger and minister to who? The beyond frightened jailer. Context is important here. He was a Roman trained guard. He was a soldier. This guy understood what has just happened. They got freed on my watch. I am loyal to my superior. 
I'm going to be faithful to my superior, but I'm also going to accept the consequences when I fail my superior. And it is better for me to go ahead and take my own life. And we'll see here what happens in just a second. But I would argue, Mission Church, we are more tempted to escape. Listen to this. We are more tempted to escape the dangerous places than sit and wait on the Lord to not miss the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are more tempted to escape the dangerous places that the Lord has graciously placed us in than sit and wait on the Lord to not miss the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. Are you running? Are you running from the dangerous places that you see yourself get in? Are you getting gas really far across town because you can't dare see what could be going on in this neighborhood? It was funny. Justin asked all the kids to oh, the kids. We are kids. That's what we're just we're just kids in adult bodies, right? But he told you to go out this way. I heard about it from our kids. They're like, why do they want us to drive through the neighborhood? Like what's so like? You have to you have to understand. My children are like this is this is normal life for them, right? Like they like why are we going this way? What's over here to see? We see this all the time. But I love the fact that you got to go a different way, and hopefully you did, and hopefully you recognize that this this place is different. But church, we can't run. We can't run from the conflict, conflicting situations the Lord places us in. We can't run from the dangerous places. But I would argue what grieves me is I think this is how you have been trained to think. To be a risk analyst on every decision you make when God is actually inviting you to press in and say, no, you're missing where all the fun's at, right? Like it's here. It's not in your safe little bubbles. Rather, this is, where I'm, this is where I'm working. I'm working in the midst of the danger. Sit and wait. Don't escape. Don't run. Verse 27, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but call cried out with a large, loud voice, says, do not harm yourself, for we're here. <laughs> Surprise. We've not left, we're here, but Paul cried. And, so, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with absolute fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He sees the impending doom. But he also knows who he is to keep jailed. He's not surprised by Paul and Silas' reputation. He knows why they got there. Because the people who were overpowering the sin-possessed woman had had their livelihood taken away from them. He knew what was going on. I think a lot of us see a lot of jailers in our life. People that lose their job, lose their wealth, 
lose their security. And I think a lot of them are just crying out, how do I be saved? Because what I thought was going to rescue me is not doing that. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Not just you, but you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the, in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he, babs, he was baptized at once. He and all his family, then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed. beautiful thing is, is that God protected Paul and Silas in the midst of absolute danger. Mission Church, are we, are we even willing to get to a place of danger to then even see if the Lord would redeem us and protect us out of it? I don't know. Time will tell. It's kind of where I stand. Time will tell. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and, 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 and Luke were hinging on a clear promise from the Lord. Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we start to walk with people, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the promise that you should leave here confident, secure, safe in, is this. And I behold, and behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then he tells the disciples when they're standing, he sends into heaven and then, He's just watching. And he's just like, what are you doing? Get to work. Go. Go do this. But I think the tension is that you and I have forgotten what the Lord has done when He has walked with us. See, the Lord, when He redeemed you, He just didn't stop there. He began to sanctify you, and He is sanctifying you, and He wants us to join Him in the sanctification of others with the Lydia's with the possessed woman, with the jailer. But this is what the Lord is doing by walking with you. He walks with you in your sin. He walks with you in your repentance when you turn away from sin. He walks with you and when you reject Him from others, even when we doubt and reject Him. That you're taking Him with you even in the midst of that. He walks with you. He's present there even when you're selfish, when you're in despair, when you're struggling, when you have great victories, and then also when you experience great losses and failures. But I think we forget that. Like I truly think I am the most forgetful person on the planet. Like I can't argue with Bethany. She's as sharp as a tack. It's incredible. Like, she remembers everything, y'all. It's crazy. Like, I'm grabbing the lectern. I haven't got no chance, y'all. She remembers everything. 
I cannot remember that Jesus is walking with me half the time. I'm stumbling all over myself. I get lost and forgetful of His promises. I get lost that, 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 and forget that He's there in the dangerous places. Like, why are we so fearful of losing our life? Ask yourself that question. Why am I so fearful? Second Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom... Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Don't forget. How do you want to walk with people? Don't forget who you were before Christ. Don't forget what He has brought you out of. And don't forget what He's bringing you through as a follower of Jesus. And be quick to pronounce that testimony to people. Be quick to be compassionate towards others. Be quick to be gracious to them because all of those things that you are regurgitating out, that those acts of grace, those acts of kindness, those acts of generosity, those acts of patience, it's only because that is being given to you. That is why you do that. Because it's being richly given to you even when you have not acknowledged it. So church, time will tell. Time will tell if we're ready to go through the struggle because I promise you, it will get absolutely bloody. It will get absolutely dirty. It will get absolutely difficult. I'm not saying that because I feel that I know what's going to come in our future. But because the neighbors have invited me and others uh, into this neighborhood, because that's what we see and it's what I am seeing. And that's what I, I pray that, that, that you get to see with me and Pastor Eric and Pastor Justin. But here's the thing. We're not, we can't do it for you. We can't. We can equip you. Right? We, can, we can teach you the things that Jesus has, has, has commanded us to follow. We can equip you to do the work of the ministry. But we cannot do it for you. But here's what we can do. We can do it with you. Right alongside you. Until Jesus returns. Let us pray.